0: Book of the Month. Follow the link to buy your copy. During the months of July and August, we'll be looking at John Knox, Scotland's reformer. If you'd like to learn more about John Knox, and there is a lot to learn, there's plenty of resources online. And if you prefer books, a good starting point is an excellent little primer, John Knox, Fearless Faith, by Stephen Lawson. It's just 100 pages, and it's packed with fast-moving information about Knox, And there's a link to buy the book on www.semper-reformata.com throughout July and August. Just follow the link in the episode notes. The book costs just £5.49. A small part of that goes to support this podcast. The Book of the Month, John Knox, Fearless Faith, by Stephen Lawson. Welcome to the Semper Reformata podcast. Spreading the word and contending for the faith. Turn again to the book of Acts and to Acts chapter 23. That seems a long time from we looked at Acts together. And last time we were in this form of meeting, we were looking at Acts chapter 23. We'd begun to look at the passage we have missed. I haven't been here for a couple of weeks in the pulpit anyway. Anyway. Uh, I had It was so bad I had to look up sermon audio this afternoon to make sure I was actually not preaching the same thing twice. That's what happens when you get to my age. So we're going to recap what we did last time by reading from Acts 23 and verse 1. And we're going to read down to verse 11. And Paul, earnestly beholding the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded them that stood by him to smite him on the mouth. Then said Paul unto him, God shall smite thee, thy whited wall. For sittest thou to judge me after the law, and commandest me to be smitten contrary to the law. And they that stood by said, Revilest thy God's high priest? Then said Paul, I wist not, brethren, that he was the high priest. For it is written, Thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of thy people. But when Paul perceived that the one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, of the hope and resurrection of the dead, I am called in question. And when he had so said, there arose a dissension between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the multitude were divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, neither angel nor spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. And there arose a great cry, and the scribes that were of the Pharisees' part arose, and strove, saying, We find no evil in this man. But if a spirit or an angel hath spoken to him, let us not fight against God. And when there arose a great dissension, the chief captain, fearing lest Paul should have been pulled in pieces of them, commanded the soldiers to go down, and to take him by force from among them, and to bring him into the castle. And the night following, the Lord stood by him, and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must I bear witness also at Rome. Amen. I don't know whether you've noticed or not. Paul's caused another riot. Kind of an occupational habit for Christians, isn't it? You have to admit it's a particular talent of his. Paul causes a riot just about everywhere he goes. Only this time, the riot is in the Sanhedrin, the highest authority for Jews of his day. Under Roman rule, the Sanhedrin was a council, recognized and tolerated by the Roman authorities to administer the Jewish law, to concern itself with Jewish religious observance and perhaps even some local political matters. Strangely enough, the word Sanhedrin is not Hebrew, it's Greek. Um, it's the Greek word for council. There was no Sanhedrin in the Old Testament. The Greek word is synedrion, uh, and we get our word synod from that. And some churches, you know, have synods, and it just simply means us sitting down together. The Sanhedrin in Jerusalem wasn't the only one either. There were councils like that all across the Jewish diaspora. Everywhere there was a town that had a synagogue. That synagogue would have elders, and those elders formed themselves into a council, a synod. See, the thing is, synods are just the local church elders coming together. I'm, I'm not a Presbyterian, as you know. Sorry for those who are that way inclined, but those synods were just for the local church. They weren't, for, they weren't para-church bodies or multi-church bodies. There was a synod of that type, a Sanhedrin, in every local uh, area where there was a Jewish synagogue. And the Sanhedrin was usually presided over in Jerusalem anyway by the local high priest, the high priest of the day, the high priest of the Jews, rather. This one was a man called Ananias. Now, I don't want you to get confused with Ananias of Damascus. Remember the man who met Paul when Paul was blinded. It wasn't him. Not Ananias, the husband of Sapphira. This is another Ananias. And Josephus, the Jewish historian, in his book, The Antiquities of the Jews, called him Ananias ben Nebadeus. He was the high priest from 47 AD to AD 52. And he's described in that book as being a violent, haughty, gluttonous, and rapacious man. So he was well looked up to by the Jews. Well, there you are. Now, despite the riot that Paul has just caused by claiming that he was being persecuted for believing in the resurrection, once things calmed down, there is no doubt that um, the hostility against Paul, especially the antagonism of the high priest, would have persisted. And it led to the Sanhedrin being involved in a very sinister plot, which we can read about in verse 12. Let's just look down at it. We're not going to look at it tonight. We're going to look at it, God willing, next week. And when it was day, certain of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under a curse, saying that they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. Paul. Let me pause there for a moment. That's why I want you to do the catechism class this week. Because next week, you'll need to know what I said in the catechism class. Because we're going to be talking, God willing, next week about a curse. They had bound themselves under a curse. They're going to do that. So, they have decided they're going to kill Paul. And a Roman citizen must be protected. And Paul has been snatched out of the riot by a squad of soldiers. And he's back in the Antonia garrison in the fort, the castle, occupied by the Romans at the edge of the temple court. He's a Roman citizen. So as we'll see here, and as we read on, he's being looked after. He can receive a visitor. He can even, to some extent, tell the centurions what he wants them to do. But he's still a prisoner, and he's still alone, and he's in a cell. And that cell is guarded outside by centurions, by soldiers. And what will that be like? So we come to verse 10, where the captain, the chief captain, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him by force from among them and to bring him into the castle. And I want you to see here Paul's dark loneliness. He's sitting there in a cell on his own in the dark. Way back in the 1970s, I had a whole collection of books that I read about the persecuted church in Russia and throughout the USSR and in the satellite countries, Romania, Czechoslovakia, East Germany. There were many, many books circulating in the 70s on that subject. Some of them were gruesome enough. Books like Tortured for Christ, In God's Underground, I remember how vividly those books described the loneliness in a Stalinist state, the loneliness of being arrested simply for being a Christian or for being a pastor, being taken to a prison by the KGB or their local equivalent, being made to stand for hours Maybe days in one place. And I remember reading about one man who was arrested and he was made to stand with his fingertips against the wall like that. And you might think to yourself, well, that's no great hardship. But when you've stood like that for 12 hours, 24 hours, 36 hours, and your muscles are aching to sit down. And your body craves water. And every time you bend a leg or a knee, just to relax the muscles in your legs a little bit, a guard beats you across the kidneys with a stick, a baton, a truncheon. And if you take cramp and fall, you're beaten senseless. And when you're senseless, they take you and they throw you into a rat-infested prison. And you lie on on a hard floor with no bed and no bedding in the cold. In a room that stinks of other people's waste. Awful darkness and stench of a rotten fested cell. A Soviet prison cell was not a picnic, and neither was a Roman one. A Roman cell was a bad place to be. And Paul is alone. And where are the men who came from the Gentile churches? Where are the men who carried that great offering to Jerusalem? Where have they gone? The men from Greece and Macedonia and Asia? The men who had brought the offerings from the Gentile believers to the poor saints of Jerusalem? Where are they now? Where are the leaders of the Jerusalem Church? Whereas James and the local elders, the very people who had so badly advised Paul, the men who had urged him to go to the temple with those men who wanted to complete their period of fasting, none of them are to be seen. No one's coming to help him. No one can rescue him, humanly speaking, Right now in this Roman cell, Paul is beyond help. He's totally alone. He's devoid of outside help. The psalmist describes this awful depths of loneliness and despair. He says, if we have forgotten the name of our God, or stretched out our hands to a strange God. Shall not God search this out? For he knoweth the secrets of the heart. Yea, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Awake. Why sleepest thou, O Lord? Arise, cast us not off forever. Wherefore, Hidest thou thy face, and forgettest our affliction and our oppression, for our soul is bowed down unto the dust, our belly cleaveth unto the earth. Oh, out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O God. Psalm 44, Psalm 130. A time of Total isolation. A time of total desolation. Now, have you ever had a time like that? Have you ever had a time when it comes to the point where you think that no one can help you? When it comes to the point when human aid is no longer available for you? when you're all alone and there's nothing you can do and you're in the depths of despair and out of the depths you're crying to God. If you haven't had a time like that, you will. You see, we live in a broken world. We live in a world that's cursed with sin. We live in a world where everything is passing away. We live in a world where nothing stays the same. Paul's in an awful place. In the midst of that awful depths of despair, there is great comfort. Listen. And the night following the Lord stood by him. I want you to know this evening that when you come to that time in your life when you are beyond human help, our Saviour Jesus stands with you. He stands with you. They're in the cell, they're in the dark. There in the loneliness, the Lord is with him. In this very special way, one of the things I remember from all those old paperbacks that I read back in the 70s is that so many of those prisoners in Russian jails spoke about how they experienced God's presence in the midst of their loneliness. I remember reading a story about a group of Christians who were Sent to a re education camp in Siberia, the coldest place on earth. The communist authorities tried to break them, tried to get them to denounce Christ, but when they couldn't, they gathered them up a group of men and women, Christians. And they took clothes from off them and they sent them out into the snow to stand and to freeze to death literally in the snow. What did they do? They joined hands and they sang God's praises and they worshipped the Lord until their last breath. God was with them. that day in the cell the Lord came and stood with Paul. I want you to see something about God's presence here. I want you to see that it's a presence that we can confirm. It is a confirmable presence because that's a a great means of assurance for us when those days come for us too. On those days when we feel so dreadfully lonely and life changes, days when there are empty rooms and empty chairs and intense sadness so much that our gut will wrench within us, days perhaps when we stand in an open grave, there will be days when the crushing weight of loneliness will tear the heart out of us. And the Lord Jesus, who was with Paul in that cell, is the same yesterday and today and forever. He has not changed. And he promises us that he will always be with us. Of course, we don't expect the literal, visible presence of Christ to come into our room and visibly stand beside us as he did in Paul's cell. Paul is an apostle and we are not. But what we have today is God's word, complete, God's infallible word. And Jesus in praying, in prayer, praying for his disciples in John 17 says, thy word is truth. Christ's promised prayer, praying for his disciples, and his prayer, his presence is confirmed by that word of truth over and over again. Didn't the psalmist tell us, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Jesus said in John 14, I will pray the Father and he shall give unto you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. In Psalm 27, we're assured that even if our parents who brought us into this world would forsake us, that the Lord will take us up. Oh, there's many more promises. Wonderful promises. All those promises fulfilled in Christ, we know that Jesus is with us, not because we feel it, not because we visibly see him, because we are told in the scriptures that it is so that he stands with us just as surely as he stood with Paul. It's a confirmable presence. And interestingly, it's a cheering presence. Look what Jesus said to Paul. Be of good cheer, Paul. Isn't that amazing? Be of good cheer. He is with us and he brings us good cheer. Cheer up, Paul. That confirms what I was saying earlier, incidentally, that Paul was in a fairly low mood at this stage. He had been arrested again, he'd been to court again, he was now in the cell, he's sitting on his own, he's in the dark and in the cold, and he's feeling downright miserable. And the Lord says to him, Cheer up, Paul. And we're cheered by his forgiveness. In Matthew chapter 9 and verse 10, he says to the to the man who was sick of the palsy, Be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee. And were cheered by his power. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea and were troubled, he said to them, Be of good cheer, and were cheered by his presence, his closeness. When they saw him, the same passage, Matthew chapter 14, when they saw him, they were troubled, and immediately he talked with them and said to them, Be of good cheer, be not afraid, and were cheered by his victory. These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. We haven't even time to go into the ways that His presence cheers us along the Christian pathway. It's confirmable from God's Word, it's cheering, and Christ's presence in those times is very often a commissioning presence. Look at the verse again, verse 11. For as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thy also bear witness at Rome. So often when we're lonely or in a state of complete desolation, God gives us something to do. Very practical. He gives us something to do to occupy our time and our energy. How practical is that? It's not the first time this has happened. Think of Elijah all alone. Depressed, sitting beside the brook Kedron. Elijah had fled after his victory over the evil priests of Baal at Mount Carmel. And he finds himself sitting by a little river and bemoaning his fate. And out of the depths of his loneliness and his despair, he whines, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant and thrown down thine altars and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I only, I am left. And they even want to kill me. He says it twice. I've heard believers saying things like that, haven't you? Oh, I don't know. I've been a Christian for so many years and look what's happened to me. Talked to a man at a funeral one day. He says, I don't know why God has allowed this to happen. His son had passed away. You know, I pray four times a day, he said to me. I pray so much, even the car broke down on the way home and I prayed and the Lord answered prayer and we got the car going again. And look what he's done. My young man has died. Oh dear, I've been faithful to God and look what's befallen me. A kind of, woe is me, self-pity. Didn't mention, of course, that his son had been doing something he shouldn't have been doing when he died. No, no, God had done it. God's answer is to remind Paul here that he's not alone and he has a work to do as he did with Elijah. The Lord said to Elijah, Go and return thy on thy way unto the wilderness of Damascus. And when thou comest anoint Haziel to be king over Syria, and Jehu the son of Nimshai thou shalt anoint to be the king over Israel, and Elisha the son of Shaphat thou shalt anoint to be prophet in thy room. Here's Paul, like Elijah, all alone, in prison, alone and helpless. And God says to him, I've still got work for you to do. You've got more service. You've got to go to Rome. You've got to witness for the Lord there, just as you have in Jerusalem. And that's going to bring challenges. And that's going to bring imprisonment. And that's going to bring joy. Because there's always joy in serving the Lord Jesus. So we accept that the Lord is present with us. Even at times when we don't feel that presence. For we trust his word. And we know that his promises never fail. And we know that it's a presence that will bring us cheerfulness. It will gladden our hearts. It warms our hearts. It brings us refreshing and comfort. And very often when the Lord's presence is with us in times of awful dryness and loss, it's a commissioning presence. For very often when we are broken, the Lord picks us up off the ground and brings us together and heals our wounds. And brings us into service, another source of joy. One final consideration. For the believer, the presence of the Lord Jesus is a great comfort. The Lord is with us. For the unbeliever, there is a serious warning. For the unbeliever who goes through life without Christ, you won't have that comforting presence to walk beside you when evil days come and sad days come. You will be standing on your own. And one day, you will find yourself standing in the presence of the judge. wonder, did you see that Facebook meme that was floating around the internet? It said, the sun will burn your eyes out from 92 million miles and you expect to casually stroll into the presence of its creator. Well, you can't. 2 Thessalonians 1 and 7 Paul writes unto you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he shall come to be glorified to his saints and to be admired in all them that believe because our testimony among you was believed in that day. So it's time to seek the Lord. And it's time to do it right now before you suddenly find yourself confronted by the blinding, unapproachable holiness of God on the day when you will rapidly flee from his presence, for even the burning fires of hell will be cooler for the sinner than to be in the presence of God with unforgiven sin. Paul warned us, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. It's time to repent. It's time to be trusting the Lord. Repent, therefore, and be ye converted, that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Here's the conclusion. We can take great comfort in God's presence, in the presence of Christ, both now or and on into eternity. And we can have that comforting presence in every season of life. Or we can go into his presence as our judge and stand condemned before Him in our sins. Tonight, it is time to seek the Lord. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast, Please help to make it better known by opening the podcast app on your phone or mobile device. Then, search for The Semper Reformata Podcast. Subscribe and give it a 5-star rating. See you next time.